0: If I think about, maybe not everyone listening to this knows the Harry Potter stories, Voldemort splits his soul into seven <laughs> pieces called Horcruxes, there will always be a yeah. bit of my soul there yeah, with all those people or with that organisation. Yeah. I think you do, yeah, you do leave a little bit of your soul there. That's why you're drawn back to hearing about it. Yeah. How is my team doing? How my people doing? How my projects doing?
1: welcome to connection request i'm joel lehman today on the show i'm chatting with rob sartain a creative executive based in london who most recently led the in-house content studio at the london stock exchange group rob and i both left lseg earlier this year so i wanted to catch up with him to see how things are going and how he's thinking about his career in this moment of transition we talk about it all including how he went from being an employee at a bank to an executive at a financial services company And we also unpack how he's had to overcome being an introvert throughout his career. We chat about the Great Redundancy Express, a quote from advertising from the year 1923, and unpack how general artificial intelligence might affect creative professions around the world. Rob's played a really important role in my career, which we talk about, and I was so grateful to him for coming on the show and being so open and thoughtful about some of life's big questions by the way happy Barbenheimer day to all who celebrate i'm actually on my way to see barbie right now drop me a comment if you're seeing it too okay
0: here's my conversation with rob sartain i was thrilled to join your much illuminated and honorary list of guests that you've had so far i'm not sure i'm going to stand up against entrepreneurs and innovators and business owners and hollywood actresses but i'll give it a go
1: i think you will indeed and uh surprisingly in some ways you actually have the honor of being i think my first british guest so another weight on your shoulders as well sort of representing the whole of the uk are you ready for that a little bit
0: disappointed that you've not had any british contingent so far
1: Well, I've been saving it for you. That's why. So let's get right into things. I'm really excited to chat with you today. We, of course, talk on and off a lot, but never in this sort of lean back conversation for me to just have a chance to grill you on you and your career and all sorts of stuff. So let's start off by, can you just tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do?
0: Former group director of content studio at London Stock Exchange Group and at Refinitiv. Prior to that, creative director, head of channels at Thomson Reuters, studios, creative throughout my career. Started out as an advertising photographer, went to university to do that as a course, which was back in the early '90s. Actually, at a time when we didn't have the internet, internet. Sorry, um, we had magazines, we had TV, and uh, what we shot on them was 10 by 8 cameras. So large format cameras it was a very exciting time a very exhilarating course to take but it didn't really pan out for me Mm. so i actually ended up going into banking for a short period it seemed like a way to generate an income and Mm. actually sustain a life so i did that for a while and then actually 1999 soon my wife encouraged me to actually get back to what i actually enjoyed and was actually good at which was actually being an artist, being a creative. So I did a web technologies course, which at that point in time was at the birth of the internet. So it was very new, very fresh. No one was really in that sphere. So we learned the basics of web design, HTML, how to code a site, how to build a site, how to write an email, you know, the basic functions of surviving in in that new industry. Yeah. Uh, so I joined that world and it was very much a change in my lifestyle, an opportunity for me.
1: I love how many twists and turns, especially in the earlier chapters of your career, you saw as well as like, something I think we'll get into today is, you've been a creative for a long time at this point, but you've seen so many shifts. So I wanna get into all of that, but first let's zoom back to young Rob, even pre-university mm-hmm. as a maybe teenager. What do I need to know about you back in those days to help understand who you became?
0: Okay, uh, I was a very shy, quite introverted young person. I was very much into my art, mm. so I loved to draw, I loved to paint. I wouldn't say I was particularly great at it. I was good. If I remember back to some of my peers at school, there were people who were much better than me, but it, it was something I felt was the only thing I was really, really good at. Mm. Surprisingly to you, probably, but actually, I flunked English at school. Mm. Well, I, I would say really? I passed, but I didn't pass with any high number, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's that, really
1: interesting. You're such a talented writer. Thank that's,
0: you.
1: Yeah. That's very surprising to me. What do you attribute not being great at that to? Just like young lack of interest or...
0: I'm not sure. Actually. Maybe lack of interest. Maybe educational approach i mean i was actually quite a voracious reader sure when i was young very so i obviously absorbed a lot of great words and language structure and and, and that but yeah I, I think it's probably more just the structure of the courses that we did in the uk education system that really inspired me so yeah i was i was quite a history buff really enjoyed history i've always enjoyed hmm. understanding the past and what that could actually bring to opportunities we have today so as you was quite introverted i was quite into sport wasn't particularly great at any sport i played rugby for my school for a short period i played badminton at a club i always enjoy my sports. i actually enjoyed martial arts to some degree never went very far many of them but i've tried out judo karate and taekwondo later in life as well no no you know no Belts to really offer up or suggestions that we should be getting into it anytime soon. But <laughs> I always enjoy that. I think I always enjoy things where there's a craft behind them.
1: Yeah, That's- huh? That's interesting. That that definitely feels like a through line. Okay, so when you originally went to university. You said you wanted to be an advertising photographer and that's actually like the discipline that you studied. What inspired you to do that and what was exciting about that world to you at the time and what felt like the career path? Uh,
0: Okay, so when I was at school, I did art and then I did a foundation art and design course between that university and school, which really benchmarked you where you wanted to go artistically. So at that course, you did graphic design, you did fine art. He did sculpture, he did art history, Hmm. uh, photography as well. And I'd actually built up quite a passion for photography from when I was about 16. And a couple of my art teachers sort of suggested I had an natural affinity with that medium. Yeah. And it seemed like a really good exploration of what I could actually do as an individual artistically. And that's where my, my leaning went to. So it seemed like a natural course to get it. I don't think I actually have any great plan to think about where's that going to take me. Sure. Just, you know, I've always enjoyed pictures like i always enjoyed yeah. art and I've always enjoyed words and it just seemed like a place where I could comfortably sit or fit at that time mm. in, in my journey.
1: So you did that for a few years or, or how long before um, you jumped years, into banking? A okay. couple
0: of years, finished that tried to work as an assistant to a number of photographers for a short period. Didn't really pan out at that point in time. I mean I think I'm sure we'll get on to some of this as we go through, but I think a lot of that's probably on me as an individual and, you know, hmm. being very introverted and quite shy at that age, not having the confidence to put myself out there, sell myself, go after yeah. something with any great drug. Sure. Yeah. Probably helped me back and, you know, Working in a sphere where you didn't necessarily need any particular background, you just needed to have a certain education level. Yeah, it was a way of getting an income, and that just drifted into being longer than I thought it would. Really. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's never anywhere I wanted to actually land. Yeah, <laughs> i actually worked the last fifteen years in financial services. But I was going to say, yeah, did did you like
1: yeah yeah yeah. did you like what did you learn in that time though when you were in that job like were there any skills whether it's interacting with people or otherwise that that
0: sort of you you carried with you into later jobs alcohol can be a demon i learned that i learned that i'm actually really good at learning new skills quite quickly and repetitive skills I'm really quite good at, actually. So hmm. some of the things you might think you need in the banking world, I'm not talking about the banking world where I'm, you know, I was a wealth trader or an asset manager. I'm talking about some of the yeah. more back-of-house kind of roles that you would expect yeah. a younger person might do in a bank. So I was quite good at that. Yeah, there was a level of learning to work in a in a in an environment where there's rules and regulations and there are requirements on you. So, yeah, that, hmm. that was an education in itself.
1: And then I didn't know this part, but you mentioned it was your wife who actually helped push you or gave you the push. Like, t- Tell me about that conversation and period from like, ooh, I think I should jump back to something that yeah. I really love. How, how did that happen? And, and
0: I guess what role did she play in it? I wouldn't say I could remember it verbatim. It's 24 years ago. That's but okay. I think it's very much along the lines of, this is not where I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life. I've always been on the trajectory to want to do something in the creative sphere. This course came available. So I've actually helped fund some of it. we got some money from somewhere else. I knew it changed our lifestyle. It was like four or five months of me not working. Yeah. It was a change to our living standards at the time mm-hmm. as well, with no actual suggestion there would be a job at the end of it. So there's hmm. quite a risk factor to that.
1: Yeah, did it feel scary? Did it feel yeah, risky? It was
0: actually an exciting course to do. It was all new. You know, Obviously there were some companies starting to make a play in the internet world and we had the early boom of the early two thousands, but no one was really going big in it. And it was <laughs> it was an open field for everyone coming into it. Yeah. So coming out of that course finding a role was going to be unnerving, but I found one quite quickly, actually, Hmm. Uh, I landed on my feet quite quickly.
1: Yeah. seems, well, I mean, obviously it seems like it paid off, right? We'll get to the rest of your illustrious career to date, but I think it's really interesting and neat that like in, in some ways you started off as a sort of junior banker role and ended up being an executive in a financial services company. That's a really interesting and fun trajectory. I'm curious, as you now look back over the past sort of few decades of your career, how much of it has felt planned versus organic, right? Like how much of it, obviously you took some calculated risks and steps, but how much of it, over time, were you intentionally planning and saying, I want to go from here to here? I want to go from here to
0: here versus just kind of following the winds as they changed? I think I've always followed the winds of change and I've never planned any of it. I think I always hoped that I'd get to where I got to and hopefully continue Hmm. on that trajectory. I'm not finished yet. Uh, I'd never planned any of it. I think what I've done is learned to put my head above the parapet a bit more than i would have done when i was younger and learned mm. some of those skills that actually helped build that momentum behind you I yeah think, oh, this is actually somewhere i could go it's interesting that i should remember from like julia hoggart the ceo of the london stock exchange i remember her saying once that you know she has a very high profile role at the moment and she's held high profile roles before she hasn't planned any of it they've come as, opportunity hmm. moments and I think you have to really look at some of those, and that's what's happened to me with some of it. So, when I joined Thomson Reuters, I didn't actually plan to join thompson Reuters, which started me on that 2008, 15, 16 year journey of yeah. working through three companies and numerous roles and brilliant experience and amazing people. I actually almost didn't start there, mm. so I actually went up for a contract role. And the individuals interviewing me at the start of the interview, there was confusion between us about what I was actually here to interview for and what they were looking for. And I actually said, I think I'm in the wrong interview and I was about to leave. (laughs) And then someone else came into the interview and cleared it all up and I ended up getting the position. Now, just imagine if I'd actually walked out five minutes before that person had turned up. Whole different life. Yeah, whole different life. So you just don't know. I'm quite fatalist in that respect sometimes. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily destiny, but I've, yeah, things come through for a reason.
1: I'm curious as an introvert, especially if you still identify that way. I think that's an area in the corporate world, maybe that we don't talk about enough. Maybe we're starting to over the past few years, but I'm curious, you. Became and are a successful executive and leader, and somebody who needs to interact with people all the time. Was that hard to learn? Was that draining? Is it something that got easier over time? How do you sort of think about ah. that now as you navigated that over the course of your career?
0: It's got much easier over time, but it's taken a long time. And that's just my personal experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it, it takes, it, I mean, some people it might be much quicker, some people are naturally more gravitate to. Situations where you're going to have to fight your intru- intruism and find a way forward. Mm. But a lot of in the early years of maybe Thomas and Reuters, I was very conscious of was I doing the right thing, what do people think of me, mm. how do I present myself, being put in situations where you clam up and don't want to talk, don't feel mm. anything concrete or complimentary to say to any conversation. Yeah. It does take experience of the exposure to those environments to actually get not oh, sorry always comfortable with it, but know that you can elevate your voice, you can speak as a trusted partner, you can yeah. challenge the status quo, you can know that you're going into a conversation and people are not going to walk away from it thinking who was that idiot? They're going to walk yeah. away just thinking, Okay, we've solved the challenges we had that meeting for they're not potentially even going to remember me or what yeah. I said. So as with most things that are fear-based, it's always in your head, really. And it's taken years to consider how to challenge myself. I do talk to myself like in my head yeah. in those situations. And I still, yeah. to, to this day, to some degree, if I'm in a big meeting, I will actually talk in my head to myself like, okay, Rob, now's your time to think about positioning this or saying this. Don't hold back on it. And you, mm. have, to, you have to build yourself up and you have to, chant to yourself and encourage yourself and Hmm. be ready to go and it you know yeah because sometimes i remember many times i've already sat there ready and you think the meeting is over now i didn't say a thing i didn't contribute i'm useless i might as well just go away now but you've got to fight those feelings
1: i shouldn't be surprised by you saying those things, because I think everybody deals with some level of, mm-hmm. of that, but it, well, we've waited this long to get out the disclosure that we worked together for a long time. You were the department head. And so my boss's boss and the group that I worked in, I would have never known any of that had we not chatted about it. You, as a leader, always presented yourself with confidence, not unearned or overbearing confidence, but that's really interesting to hear that you deal with, dealt with some of the same things that all of us, maybe who are earlier in our careers have also dealt with.
0: We all do. Of course everyone does. I find it very rare that anyone who doesn't Mm. have those feelings or situations sometimes thrust upon them and sometimes not. And Mm. you've got to actually reach out to others and actually learn from others and how they deal with them, how they approach the challenges that they face. And that's what I've done as well. I've actually just by osmosis sometimes and going, well, how did that person handle that situation? So, well, what do they actually do that was different to what I would do? And is it actually that hard to do it? Yeah.
1: Speaking of who have been some of your career heroes and inspirations, who are some of the people that over the course of your career, you've looked up to taken inspiration from felt, I want to be like that person.
0: I think throughout my career, there's been quite a few people who have raised me up, either through the opportunities they've given me. So, you know, our former glorious leader, Eileen Lynch, was an amazing advocate of mine, and she really gave me a big stretch opportunity and taught me so much about humility and kindness and how to lead with empathy. Mm. I'm sure she might listen to this, but Victoria Mello i I remember speaking to Eileen once about Victoria and saying, "How does she do some of the things she does how could i hmm. How could I be like that? You know wanting to emulate someone's not behavior or personality but the capability to manage certain situations and how do you boil that down into some simple tenets that you can actually advocate through your own approach as well? I have to say thank you to like Stuart Pedler, actually hired me at Thomson Reuters and saved that initial meeting where I might have actually walked out of the door. Now, There's been so many people and I think, you know, that phrase that's often used, it always takes a village, it does. It's always about the people. Hmm. I would not be where, I've, where I am now or where I've got to without any of the people that I've had the opportunity to either work with or be a peer to or lead. It's always been yeah. about the people and there's so many people through our groups as well, you know, yourself including others on my previous leadership teams and our teams that I always look to about how they not just approach conversations or meetings or interactions, but the work they've done, hmm. the thought process they've put to something. There's always something to be learned from someone else. Yeah, There's always someone that you go, wow, how do they actually think like that? What do yeah. I think? that? Why don't I think like that?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Be stupid
0: not to think like that. That's so easy. <laughs> you know, you can't apply all of it. And sometimes you often think about these things that it just passes you by and you still can't do it. You're not making someone new. You are who you are. I don't think we ever actually change at the core of who we are. We just yeah. develop. We just hmm. build layers and layers of experience and opportunity into our lives. And you develop mm. what you have already there inside i'm sure i could say the same but i'm sure you're the same person you were actually 10 years your core beliefs a lot of that's founded when you're very young so you know if i think about that very young guy that wrote that young Rob, to where i am now he's the same person i've just got really good experience and incredible yeah. relationships and I've been immersed and flooded with seeing the brilliance of other people around me that's helped me become who I am.
1: If you went back and chatted to young Rob, took him out for a coffee or a tea or a beer, what would you tell him that you maybe wish you had known then that you do know now? You can do it.
0: No, because fear is a big factor for so many people. You can do it. You will get there. You know, is that interestingly, yeah. I remember this is before I actually met Sue that I was actually doing some contract work, maybe in the late nineties, very, very menial, I'll say menial, I just respect anyone that does these jobs, but the sort of contract jobs where an organization just wants someone to come and do some data entry as as a space filler. And I was on a bus on the first, it was only like a two week thing and I got off the bus and I thought, what am, what am I doing? This can't be my life. This cannot be my life to end up at this point. I'm still quite young and I'm doing this. I'm much better than this. So I need to fulfill some of my potential. I want, and you got to be frank for yourself sometime. So I'm glad I did because I, I'd moved somewhere else. I changed my direction. I didn't change my direction fully, but I changed it enough to start on a new path and yeah, yeah you've got to fulfill your potential. Well said.
1: I'm curious, you know, you as a creative, as a creative director, as a creative leader, you have touched a lot of campaigns, rebrands, cool content projects, all kinds of stuff. Do you have any favorite campaigns or creative projects that you've worked on? And I guess coinciding with that, do you have any particular favorite chapters of your career that you kind of look
0: back on with a fondness? Yeah, I think some of the early days in Thomson Reuters, were really interesting because that was before I was in the internal communications organization. Then the organization went through a lot of change. We had a lot of exposure to a lot of that change in the organization. We didn't necessarily have some of the tools we have today, like Microsoft teams and SharePoint tools. So we were building a lot of things ourselves internally. Mm. So we had, you know, creative capabilities, coding capabilities. We're actually building our own internal platforms. So we we're having a lot of fun, it, mm. you know, it was highly unregulated in you know, a regulated organization.
1: <laughs>
0: and it was a fun time, you know, we were yeah. getting to express ourselves, jumping from working on an internal comms campaign to maybe working on something with Reuters, to working on something to do with the CEO and the big you know, AGM broadcast. There was that heady mix of, wow, I'm all over the place. I'm learning so much. This is really interesting stuff. I think it's hard to pinpoint some campaigns. There's been literally hundreds of maybe thousands over the years. I think leading the brand launch from Affinity was, I would say, a career highlight. That was a big leap at the time. It was not just me, of course. There was many, many people involved in delivering that exceptional outcome for that brand. But I really felt at that time, okay, this is. I need to take this seriously. But... Mm not to the point where it stresses me out so how do i bring the right attitude to everyone who's going to help do this how do i actually bring the right essence of what we're trying to do here which is a big shift it's a big change for a brand so i think that was and delivering that and knowing what the success that came from that Hmm. i think is probably the biggest career highlight and that's camp yeah i've got people highlights but that's yeah, campaign wise, I wouldn't say yeah. all the work creatively is probably my favorite work. There are the smaller pieces we've probably done over the years where I think, wow, well, that I think you go back to that blog article I wrote recently about Sublime. There's things I've seen that we've done, maybe they haven't always come to fruition where I think, wow, that's really good, good stuff. And yeah. stuff yeah. I haven't liked as well. And I think that's a really good mark for anyone to consider when they're in a creative role or sphere as. There's not always going to be a piece of work your teams or your colleagues do that you actually personally like, but it's right for the brand and it's right for the solution it's trying to solve, you know, disagree and connect and go with it. So I think yeah, while well, I was learning that as well. The Definitive launch was a pretty big gig.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I came a little bit after some of the early folks who worked on it, but I mean, that was also one of my career highlights is just like, the energy around new company, new culture, new brand, mm-hmm. new teams, let's be honest, budget to do things and try mm-hmm. things. That was a very exciting time. And then a the chapter I'll look on fondly as well, that I was happy to be there alongside you. So, one thing you kind of touched on this earlier, but you have been in the creative industry for a long time. You have lived through lots of transformational changes. Mm-hmm. Like you said, that internet, digital, mobile, social, and beyond metaverse, uh, blockchain, crypto. I can just throw out all sorts of buzzwords. Throughout kind of that long period, what has stayed the same
0: and what has changed? Well, wow, that is a big question. Is that, is it, it's an interesting question because I've been considering that for a new blog post. I'm actually reading a book at the moment that's called The Anatomy of a Humbug, which is about a different view on the advertising industry. And that talks very much about the opening of the book, talks very much about certain phases of how people look at advertising or marketing industry to some degree. You know, some people look back at the past and just see it as the past, and the future is the only where we're going to go. And that's all we need. If you think about some of the latest trends like metaverse and generative AI, some people look back and go, well, actually, we had it really good back then. And now it's rubbish, which is not delivering the same level of creativity and quality as well but what's interesting in that book and it's a bit of a digress from your question there's actually there's a book that was written in 1923 which is about the science of advertising hmm. and there's a quote in there I'll see if i can dig it out quickly because it fascinated me because if you didn't know this quote was from 1923 you wouldn't believe it because it sort of just hmm. reflects this day and age where is it uh, the time has come when advertising has in some hands reached the status of a science it is based on fixed principles and is reasonably exact. The cause and effects have been analyzed until they are well understood. The correct methods of procedure have been proven and established. Advertising once a gamble has thus become under able direction one of the safest of business ventures. Now, that was 100 years ago. That was written. Wow. No, that's amazing, isn't it? Because you could actually say, what well, that's about today.
1: You could You could write that today. and. Yeah. Uh...
0: People would so believe it. What's the biggest change? I find that quite a hard one to answer because when you work in the industry, change comes at you all the time. And for the most part, it's executional, it's tactics, it's tools. Sure, sure. That's what they've been. You know, I start out working on the web, but all the roles I've had have always included omni channel experiences whether you know print or mobile or web or tv or video i think the biggest change has been accessibility well for everyone i think just the ability to connect seamlessly with the whole planet for Mm. the most part very quickly sometimes the detriment of building great brands I think one of the challenges you can see now is this sort of hype cycle approach with Metaverse and others that, you know, everything needs to bed down a bit, chill a bit and really understand how they're going to fuse themselves into what we do within our world, which is, you know, our advertising, marketing, communications. They're just tools at the end of the day. I think what I have seen is a much, and this is coming through a lot more in, social conversation, the industry conversation. What it shouldn't do, actually, is to talk about connecting to humans. That has become more prevalent and obvious over the last years to me. If I think about some of the ways we approached work in the past, it wasn't talking to humans. It was fulfilling an industry standard in terms of how people think you should talk. To other humans in those industries. Whereas ultimately marketing is a conversation, isn't it, with someone. And that's how you should be talking to them. And it's about emotion. And I'm mm. seeing that come through a lot more, actually, which is really exciting. Because that harkens back to what a lot of people say was the greatness of the maybe set the advertising and marketing of the sixties and seventies. Yeah. was you know, you're connecting at a human level with people, you're sparking that glint in their eye, that rays of the smile, that you're inducing them to something that's going to get them excited and trust, which I think is getting better and better. I think it's the only cautious caution I said, I know we've spoken before and I've joked about the metaverse and, and some degree I made some jokes about chat GTP as well, but that all have great roles to play, Hmm. but only through human intervention and human creativity. Only then will they be yeah. truly exceptional.
1: Agreed. And on that, we can't have a conversation in 2023 about creativity without talking about AI, at least for a, a minute. You and I have texted about, joked about, talked about ChatGPT. I've been messing around with Midjourney, which is as like a non-designer, non-visual person, it is thrilling to type words into a box and have Whatever I can imagine come out. I'm just curious. Do you have any good hot takes about how those tools, specific to creativity, creative professionals, will impact our lives in the work that we do?
0: I think they will. I don't. I'm not sure yet if they're going to have an impact in terms of the roles people have. I think they obviously will. It's interesting the, the thing about the word creativity. I saw a few pieces online recently where people have put creative briefs into chat, GTP. Mm -hmm. That is going to churn out response in five seconds versus putting a team together on a brief and they might take a day to come up with two or three ideas. Ideas that came out of it were okay. But what they were was the ideas that the creative team would probably come up to within the five or six they would come out with, and those are the two or three that cross off because those are the expected ones so it will help accelerate opportunity there will be efficiencies there will be a level of automation absolutely what i do find a bit unnerving is especially in the last few months so many people putting up on social about this is how to improve your marketing this is how to get in front of your customers really quickly put all these prompts into chat gpt they really should change that bloody name assuming that's how you do marketing assuming that's going to get you results, Hmm. you know, I think of
1: just like blindly putting stuff into a robot and then blindly accepting what it spits out as this is what you should do. Yeah.
0: I mean, the other good thing I've seen a lot of recently is, and I think that some of this came out of a number of the sessions that was at cams last week is the value of long-term brand building, Hmm. I think has been missing in our industries and other industries agreed last 15, 20 years. Yeah. And to see people recognizing that, industries recognizing that, the potential investment going into doing that well, that's exciting yeah. for anyone in this world at the moment because, yeah, you know, it's become a, a world of attribution, model mixes, and maybe an over-application of certain things like behavioral economics and neuroscience and Maybe just getting back to some of the core basics of building really good brands long term, mm. and knowing that that's actually going to generate the success and ultimately the trust you need with customers. Yeah. So you know there'll be short term excitement around generative AI. There needs to be legislation, absolutely. I know I've already seen some agencies, some companies, already putting their own guide guidelines in place how it will be used how they actually benefit from it out out of the gate. I think you have to be clear with people though, that if you are, especially advertising or marketing to them, if anything is solely generated by generative AI, we need to say this was not developed by human hands.
1: Yeah, agreed. That should be like a benchmark, right? Like a standard. You are an excellent writer, as I mentioned. I've been checking out your Substack. There's a little plug for that. Listeners should go and check it out because you are an excellent writer. I think, and even, you know, I've read a lot of your writing in the past, but it's fun to see you in a new, unencumbered medium and format. And something that you've been writing about and sort of weaving in is your time writing what you call the Great Redundancy Express. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit and just hear <clears throat> how this chapter of your life has been, what you've been up to, what you've been thinking about. But I'm just going to read a quote first from one of your recent posts. Actually, maybe it was one of your first ones. You said, quote, time has become a wanting and vocal companion, a relentless chaperone readily bellowing out the minute by minute of my day with little care of consequence. You're a great writer. You great turns of phrase. Um, how's How's this time been? What's it feel like?
0: There's actually someone asked me that yesterday. It's gone quickly, so it's been six months nearly, I believe. I actually thought I'd be what I'd be back in work by now. Sure. And I say it's been actually it's been it's been emotional. I don't know what film that was from, but you know that phrase. It's been emotional. It has. It's been. Yeah. It has been. I think I I put the pressure on myself after a few months. To think oh, I must get work. I don't actually potentially need to right now, but I must get back, you know, before the world forgets about me, before people start questioning why there's a gap in my CV, before I'm irrelevant, I'm not getting any younger, I need to get back to yeah. work. And I think I took, a wrong, I took the wrong attitude to some degree there because I don't need to rush I need to run the right thing for me. And, hmm. it, and it has been. There's been periods of, okay, There's is a grieving period. I left behind a yeah. big team of wonderful people who I adore. So there's a grieving period. There's a period of carefree abandon to some degree. It's Mm -hmm. quite nice to have to worry about the day-to-day machinations of whether that PowerPoint is going to be right for that call or some issue someone else has or doing a performance review or looking at a budget sheet, but then you just start to miss a lot of that as well. Yeah. I think, well, I actually need to fill my day with Stuff I'll do with family, but what else am I gonna do? So, you know, the blog is part of that. Uh, learning. But think about it, I don't I don't need to be doing some of these things. I don't need to write a blog. I don't particularly need to do some of these learning things. I think I've learned quite a lot. But I think mm-hmm. it's important to keep my attitude right in terms of keeping my head fresh with what's going on, yeah, what yeah. I can bring to a conversation. I think I wrote a little bit about this already and I've spoken to others about this, the whole recruitment process is a, from what I've seen so far, a farce. But I've obviously been on the other side of that for many years, bringing people into organizations, maybe not seeing the challenge that you actually face when you're out there having to find to. a role and the systems in place, what the hurdles you potentially have to get through, assumptions you may make about yourself Think, well, actually, I've done all these things. It says it in black and white, plain and clear. Yeah. Uh, and then you get rejection after rejection and there's no comeback. There's no way of finding out rationale. Then yeah. anyone actually look at it? Is it actually a machine talking to me? Is it someone yeah. who's sitting in their bed at 11 o'clock at night on their PowerPoint on their PC, sorry, just clicking through rejections because they can't be bothered to read them? You don't yeah. know. So yeah. it's a heady ride, but it's good. It's good. I'm in a good place.
1: I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm just curious. Like you spent over the course of like multiple companies and multiple chapters in your career a total of what would you say 15-ish years at those string of
0: companies uh yeah 15 yeah
1: yeah you've been on many sides of that table but like when you found out that you'd be departing how did that feel and what were the stages of like emotion that you went through
0: that's a good question i think that because i was Quite involved in many elements of the process the broader process i was quite comfortable with it i thought long and hard about would it be the right time to think about going somewhere else as in for a could i get into another industry there's some other industries that are quite interesting that in itself Mm. is a hard gig what i'm finding as well yeah there's another problem with I think the recruitment process, the siloed mentality that if you haven't worked in a particular industry, your skills aren't transferable. I mean, marketing is marketing, it's marketing to humans, we're all humans. So I appreciate there's some level of skill needed in some industries, but it should be more open, I think, and you'll get a greater diversity of skills and capabilities running across industries. Yeah, I was actually quite comfortable with it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I got the time to get used to it yeah i
1: mean for what it's worth i like i think you sort of knew for quite a while or for an extended period of time obviously before the rest of us and your team found out a couple of months uh and i like i think at that point then what amazed me the most in reflection and then all the way up until you left was your level of commitment and focus and care from where I sat didn't change at all. And that to me is a really impressive thing to do, to not turn off the gas or whatever metaphor you want to use of like putting in time, attention and care. How, like, how did you sort of keep that news to yourself? And how did you like not let your
0: foot off the gas? Uh, or the well, so the last question, talking. I've always been really good at locking away the secrets. So, you know, when, when Refinitive. Was it Refinitive to Earl's sake? Either but either that Tom's right is to refinitive. You know, I I've, I've got involved in those moments long before yeah. many others. For yeah. from, from the roles we play, I've been brought inside on some of those projects. So I've got quite good at keeping those kind of secrets and keeping the stoic face through that. Sure. But it you know, to your last question, why wouldn't I? I've got a huge group of people passionate about them. Yeah. Want to make sure they're comfortable. I'm leaving in good terms. I would do no one, I'll do myself a disservice if mm. I didn't. And I didn't have to put any effort into doing that. It was business as usual. Yeah. Lead this group well, I, through this change as yeah. best I can. Yeah. So I go. Well,
1: I really admire that. Thank you. I think it's a good, yeah, I think it's a good example to set for others and a good learning that like, when it makes sense for you, you should, yeah, you should put the time, attention and care into the way that you leave a place. Yeah. And um, the, same,
0: the same when other people leave an organization, someone said this to me years ago, and you know, if someone has to leave, whether through redundancy or they actually get fired, always leave, let someone leave with their head held high hmm. because with whatever's transpired, that you're going to be in that situation someday. They may have other things going on in their world. If you don't, you're not benefiting anyone. So give them the respect that's due to let them leave with their head held high. And I want to leave with yeah. my head held high. And the best way to do that was to continue performing as best I could for the group. Yeah. I think you did.
1: One one kind of last question on this chapter. My sense of you and working with you for and working closely with you for a good few years is that you were and are pretty enthralled with and fulfilled by work. You put a lot of time into it. You were on Teams messages late at night, your time. You led a global team. So part of that was just like kind of how you operated. You thought a lot about how you lead the team, led the team, but also you got pretty involved in some of the details of specific projects. I'm just curious, like how much of yourself now with the distance of being out of that world how much of yourself and your identity were wrapped up in your job and in your career? And I'm just curious, like now with a little bit of distance, how do you think about your relationship to work overall?
0: Wow, that's a good question. You're right, actually. I was not overtly to the point that it was suffocating or challenging to my, excuse me, personal life. Maybe maybe years ago, it was actually. Sure. and. I did talk to my wife about that and we talked about that because I had cognizant that yeah, I think a few years ago I was putting a lot in and I would always be on this infernal machine in the evenings. And that goes yeah. back to wanting to be seen, fighting the introvert. I got a lot better at that. I got a lot better at delegating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Assuming positive intent, trusting others. Yeah. How much of my identity this it wrapped up in work i just really enjoyed a lot of it you know
1: sounds natural and yeah. also like i'm not singling you out right i'm just like you're someone i know well and something i think about i think a lot of people think a lot about right is whether you call it work life balance or or whatever how you blend sort of your non work parts in yeah so i'm just curious like if having a little bit of distance i don't know it has changed anything about how you think about your identity and your career
0: No, it hasn't actually. I don't think there's any more complex an answer to give, actually. I don't really think on those terms. Hmm. There probably is some psychology to it. You know, why why do I, you know, I do miss it to some degree, Yeah. but I'm not missing something. I don't sit and go, oh, I'm desperate to be back in that environment. I do actually still think about some of the projects. The first few weeks, it was crazy. It was like, I was thinking about some projects. Yeah. And having to beat them out of yeah. my head going, will you please leave me? I, I don't care anymore. No one's going to care that I care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I mean, I, you tell me I've what? experienced similar of things. I still text people, call people, chat to people rather regularly. Some of that is just like not being able to turn that off. Some yeah. of it is just like you know I know, with yeah, I the team.
0: response to it, actually. If I think about the moment everyone listens to this and knows the Harry Potter stories, Voldemort splits his soul into seven pieces. <laughs> called horcruxes there will always be a bit of my soul there yeah with all those people or with that organization i think you do yeah you do leave a little bit of your soul there that's why you're drawn back to hearing about it yeah how is my team doing how my people doing how my projects doing yeah i'm sure even a couple of years from now it does grow away actually if i think about where we left Tom's Reuters in 2017 or 18, six years ago, maybe. I feel quite distant from that organization now.
1: Yeah, interesting. Me
0: too. Yeah. So it does go. But yeah. I think the last eight or so years have been very pivotal, especially for yeah. me. Is that part of my soul would always be there. Hopefully, it, if, that a... it, hopefully if it doesn't stay like that, I don't end up like Voldemort and fading away. (laughs)
1: That's a great analogy. Like, other than the fact that
0: we're comparing you to Voldemort, which
1: you are not, that's a great great analogy. What do you want to do next, Rob? What's, like, if you sort of think about designing your next chapter Mm -hmm. of your career, you could go into an agency, you could go into a company, you could be a creative director, you could lead a team, you could be a CMO, you could do all sorts of different things. The world is your oyster. What do you most want to do? You mentioned other industries. Like, what's exciting you right now? What sounds the most interesting to you?
0: Another great question. I don't think I found the answer to that fully yet. Part of what I've been doing recently is actually exploring what do I actually like to do. I actually did a little bit of design for something the other day. I haven't actually done that physically for quite some time (laughs) because I've had incredible people to do all that. And they did it so much, much better than I ever would. And especially with things like mid-journey now, I don't need to bother. So <laughs> I love building brands. I love the process of building brands. Yeah. So I think whatever I do next, I want to be in that particular sphere. I think yeah. just saying. So I just read a great book by a lady called Al Fielding. I actually wrote to her and said, she loved your book. It was really good. It's called The Brand Book. It just basically takes you through how to think about building a brand. Now, hmm. there's always stuff for everyone to learn, and I've learned stuff. A lot of it I can see what we've done previously, but thinking about brand strategy, brand essence, how you structure all these things, how you build opportunity for your organization, how do you think about your right to win in the market, cultural Hmm. context, customer insight. I actually really enjoy all that, bringing it together and coming up with that solution because it's a very saturated world now and it's harder and harder for. Especially if you think about financial services as well, not that I particularly always want to stay in that world, but it's hard to be product competitive mm. when so quickly competitors can augment what they have to be very similar to what you have. So it yeah. comes down to what's the difference in the brand? What's, is it your customer service? Is it your ethos? What you're actually doing? The broader market for the broader economy for or whatever it is that's most important to your brand i like finding that i like doing that
1: well i'm so excited to to see who needs me (laughs) (laughs) i know lots of people uh you could work on my brand no i'll i'm really excited to see where this next chapter of your journey takes you. You're going to have to come back on and talk about it once you land that next thing or you figure out what is the right next step for you. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything I forgot to ask you about or anything, any other wisdom you want to part both on to me but also to our listeners?
0: Wisdoms. Okay, like a couple of wisdoms I've been given over the years that I think are really good is always look after number one. That's not to the detriment of anyone else, but just take care of yourself first. Always take the money. That doesn't necessarily translate as to actually taking the money physically, but again, think about what's going to be the best package for you, the best place for you. However kind you're being, be kinder. I think it's the other one hmm. that I've heard and learned from. So those great bits of, advice. bits of wisdom for you.
1: Those are great. Rob Sartain, you've meant a heck of a lot to me in my career. I'm really grateful that, that our, our mutual friend, Ryan Shepard, brought me over to Refinitiv because it meant a chance to work closer with you and be part of the team that you built and led. You've, you've done a lot for me. You've championed me for some reason. You've mentored me both informally and formally. I miss your team's chats at all hours of the night. I miss your very eloquent and verbose emails to the team. I, I miss learning from you and your leadership, even though I still get to learn from you in other ways now in this chapter. I just want to say thank you for, for the impact you've left on me for and the teams that, that you've led, because I think you probably don't fully know and recognize the impact you've had on people and the teams that you've led. And built. So I just want to That's say thank, time, you. Joe, thank you. Thank you.
0: I think I do, actually, to some degree, and I take a lot of, when I left, actually, I took a lot of heart from that, from the messages I got. From all the years of, I would consider a challenge, I personally had to try and get to where I wanted to get to, to hear some of the things people have said. We all have, it's not about ego, it's about finding your place. And when people say, you've done the right things for us. One of, the, you know, one of the comments I got when I left was you you made a corporate not feel like a corporate. And that was like one of the best f- feedbacks I got.
1: Absolutely. Nice. I, yeah, I agree. I think you're one of a kind, Rob Sartain. Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Chat. Anytime. It's been Anytime, fun. Anytime. That is it for today's episode of Connection Request. What'd you think? Let me know. I love hearing your feedback. Just an FYI. We have one more episode of season one that'll be coming out in three weeks probably, but we'll see. I'm off on holiday for a little bit, uh, so I won't be doing any podcasting then, because why would I do that? Anyway, today's show is produced by Shrug Content, which you can learn more about at shrugcontent.com. Please send all of your Barbie reviews, your Oppenheimer reviews, and your Beyonce reviews to connect at TrugContent.com. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and threads, I guess, because that's a thing we do now. And the show is on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, be well, and thanks for listening.